And we're going to read a really short section out of Mark this morning. I think that's where we're up to now. Yes, we are. Looking at my list. And um, we're going to, you know, uh, yeah, let's just read this short section. I'll intro a little bit. And this is, this is um, in Mark and um, a moment where um, it can be a little bit, it might be a little bit of a scripture. You think, wow, that's, that's strange and that's weird. This is, a, you know, one of Jesus' awkward moments. But it actually is um, pretty powerful. So um, here we go at verse 31. And his mother and his brother, this is Jesus, his mother and his brother came and standing outside, Jesus was inside um, and probably presumably surrounded by a lot of people listening to him and, and they, they, stand, they were outside and they sent to him and called him and a crowd was sitting around him and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. And so that's, like I said, it's one of those weird things like, what was Jesus thinking? What was he trying to say? Was there a subliminal message there? Was there a cutting remark? Was there a reminder? I want to talk this morning about the importance of community family and um, you know it's a great day to talk about that particularly with what we've already seen happen with with Francis and um, and Peyton and you know family and I said the number of times during their profession of faith that this is just the the end of one thing but the beginning of another they've become partners and they've said they want to be part of this church community and that can be really exciting at times days like today good lunch good testimonies, great worship, but other stuff's there as well. It's during the week, it's that, those pledges that I talked about that we hate talking about. There's those, you know, those set-up roster that you end up on when you're a partner. Get ready for that, guys. You know, um, there's all sorts of stuff. You know, there's praying for people, there's caring for people, there's stepping out of your comfort zone, there's, there's joining in with Cavell Ministries, there's... When you join a family, there's lots of really great stuff, but there's all sorts of stuff, isn't there? And I want to talk about community. Who is your community? And we often use that word, don't we, community or family, when we talk about church, because it's nice and warm and it's friendly and it's better than the word church, isn't it? You know, hey family instead of hey church or something like that. And a day like today is a celebration and we like to phrase it like, and we like to say people joining the family or the community of God or our community, our family. Because salvation, becoming a follower of Jesus, isn't just a me thing, is it? It's not just something that it happens in a bubble that's isolated. It's not just an individual thing. And that's the reason in our church why we add partnership to it, where we, we kind of make it that that's a one celebration, it's his salvation, it's not just me, it's what God did in the context of community and what he called me into now. And we will be biblical in that because community is important, family is important. But then we have this strange text, you know, and, and you know, even listening to Francis's testimony, you know, how important family is and mum and dad and, and also that is important. But then we have this thing that Jesus talks about. What does he mean? Is he redefining family? It sounds really harsh when you consider that he's saying that when they're right there, the family's right there. Can you imagine 
You know, think about your mother, Francis. And someone says, you know, your mother's outside. Who is my mother? You know, she, this is my mother and my, you know, it sounds really like, say that quietly if, you know, explain what you're doing, but this, they're right there. To understand that, we need to understand that Jesus was part of what we call a strong group society. Very community focused. Um, and as opposed to the me or the, the, the my culture, and the kingdom, and, and when, so Jesus was part of what we call a strong group society, a strong group culture, very community focused, not so me focused or my focused. And the kingdom and the family of God is modeled on that same platform. This is why community is really important for us too. This is why it's something that we need to reflect on, that we don't need to just skip over and, and just celebrate the individual. Maybe we need to even recenter a little bit in our thinking about how we feel about the community, the family of God. Because the family of God, the church, was meant to be a reflection of the community that Jesus was talking about. Let me explain. I'll just explain. So there's two types of, of culture or society. I, I mentioned the one. There's a strong group culture or strong group societies. And then there's weak group societies. A strong group society or culture is where the group is more important than the individual. The individual is subject to the group. What the group is doing or trying to achieve, what the group sees as valuable, is more important than what the individual is trying to achieve or what the individual desires or what the individual sees as being valuable. So what the group thinks about those things is more important than what the individual thinks. 80% of our world today are strong group societies. I just come out of one in Uganda. Asia, if you, if you understand Asian cultures, Middle Eastern cultures, they're all strong group societies. A weak group society or weak group culture is where the individual has priority over the group, where the individual assumes that their desire, that their preference, that their autonomy, that their self-determination and happiness is more important than whatever group they identify with. Anyone starting to sort of sink in their seat a little bit? Think Europe, US, Australia, the West basically. We are in the 20% and we're an example of a weak group society in this nation. And most of us and most of our ethnic backgrounds... And the irony is, this is the irony struck me as I was preparing this, it's our individualism that causes us to judge strong group cultures or society because they're oppressive to our individualism. Did you get that? You didn't. You're all looking at me like really weird now. It's our individualism. The irony is it's our individualism that makes us judge them because they attack our individualism. And so we, 20% of the strong, uh, weak group cultures judge the... the um, the strong group societies. Here's a, I've got it on the screen. Here's a working definition of a strong group society. And we're going to play with it in a little bit. Okay, so in a oh, it's a bit small. If you can't read that, just listen up. In a strong group society, the person perceives himself or herself to be a member of a group and responsible to the group for his or her actions, destiny, career, development, and life in general. The individual person is embedded in the group and is free to do what he or she feels right and necessary 
only if in accord with group norms and only if the action is in the group's best interests. The group has priority over the individual member. Think back to Jesus. Jesus' world was a strong group society, strong group culture. And in that world, your primary group, quote-unquote, was called family. Now we begin to understand why Jesus used that, that language. Your primary group was called family. Not necessarily biological family. That helps us understand Jesus' words. So what does it mean for us? You know, you sort of think, oh, that's the Bible, that was Jesus. You know, what is it about all these cultures and that? Is it important for us as a faith community or modern-day Western church to understand? Does it really matter? Is this sermon worthy? You know, really, why are we talking about this? Well, let me just replace one word in the definition. We'll see how we feel. What if, that one, what if one hope was replaced by group or your church or the church that you're a part of? What if I did that? Let me play with that for a minute. Let's have a look at it again. In one hope... The person perceives him or self or herself to be a member of the of one hope and responsible to one hope for his or her actions, destiny, career, development and life in general. The individual person is embedded in one hope and is free to do what he or she feels is right and necessary only if in accord with one hope's norms and only if the action is in the one hope's best interests. One hope has priority over the individual member. Does that freak you out? Peyton? Francis? Are you thinking, what have we done? Does that freak you out? Upcoming pro-faith people, there's a couple coming up and, and in a couple of weeks we're having some other people do partnership and join. Does that scare you? <laughs> Who said that? I love you. You're the man. Nothing scares him. Is this a cult? Well, no, it's not. And of course, in strong group cultures, there are more than the church, than one hope. But, however, in a strong group culture society, the faith family was still and still is a large part of a strong group society. And that lends credence and that gives credence to the importance of the faith family and its priority over us over us as individuals, and that it's a biblical way to live. That we don't place, and when I was looking at this, I don't place enough importance on the church family, the church community. I don't give it its place. I don't give it its authority. I don't give it its, its place in my life. But it's a biblical way to live. This is how important his, God's community is. This is how God in his wisdom designed the kingdom to function and to grow, that's how it grows as a community and as a family. And suddenly, church is not just an activity anymore. Church is not just something that's on your diary or I could go this week or I might go to the snow or my life group or what my church is, what God's called our community to do in the, in, what, in the community. Suddenly, it's more than just an activity. It's more than just a compartment of my life, isn't it, when we think about that? And for some of us, that's scary. Because it's, it's weird for us, isn't it? It's, we're in that 20%, remember? It's weird for us in this kind of individualistic culture. 
Because we made salvation about us and it stops with us. We made it about God saved me and that's fantastic and it's amazing. And I, me and God, we get to do life together and, and my sins are forgiven and that's all true. But we've made it about us and it stops at us. We don't generally focus on where salvation leads us to. Or we don't place a whole lot of weight on the context we might be called to live it out in our church family. We love the salvation bit. We just finished that series on Romans. How many of you enjoyed that? Uh, give Joel and I a bit more love than that. How many of you enjoyed that? You know, <laughs> yeah. And we loved it because it really helped us to see what God had done, even in the face of the wrath of God and the sin in the world, that salvation was ours and that, you know, Romans finishes with there is now no condemnation. And, and that's great, isn't it? That's a fantastic message and it really is encouraging. And we love that bit. We're down with that. But then this community bit, well, we can be down with that too as long as it's on our own terms. As long as it doesn't impinge on the things that I might want to do or you know, that I'm not expected to be anything or do anything. We love salvation. We love what Jesus did. Hallelujah. But the Bible says he called us into community and we kind of, oh, okay. Can I be selective with that one? So we can be afraid of community, can't we? We can be afraid of going all the way. And that's why that definition, when I changed the word, made you feel really uncomfortable. I felt uncomfortable too, just so you know. We did. That's why we're afraid. And we're afraid for many reasons. And I just picked a few. Here's the top three things that um, in, in a podcast I was listening to and a couple of articles I read. This, these are the things they say that make us as Christians fear community. Number one is individualism. No secret there. Um, I'm pretty good at individualism. I don't know about you. No, you're all fantastic. You know, I'm, I'm really good at that. Individualism is, is what, what we, why we fear community because our own choice, we're afraid that our own choice will be robbed. We don't want to be too committed. You know, what if there's a better offer? Yeah, I'll come, I'll be there at that. I mean, young adults, guys, sorry. You know, oh, yeah, I can be there at that, no worries. Always a back door. Oh, I think I'll come. Always a back door. Oh, well, what if there's a better offer? What if there's something else? We don't like that. It, it, individualism, our individualism is offended by that. Our auto- autonomy that to do our own thing. Community threatens those things. Community is to live under authority and accountability, and that's exactly what individualism wars against. I can't make it any more sanitized than that. The Bible talks about us living under authority and under accountability. And individualism is counter that, diametrically opposed. And that's why we struggle with it. It wars against it. We feel like we're going to miss out. We feel like we're, if we, we're not going to get where we want or what we want. I read a quote, Individualism is a symptom of a lack of understanding of the kingdom vision. And at its best, it's a short-term view of life, individualism. Because guess what? When we get to heaven, you don't get to be an individual. We get to join the choir of angels. And you may not be the head angel. Individualism. Second one is idealism. Idealism is one of the things that we struggle with. Community is hard work, isn't it? And we would love this. You know, Those of you that are visiting here, I want you all to know that this is the most ideal community that you could ever be a part of. Nothing ever goes wrong here. No one ever gets upset. 
We never struggle. Everything happens the way it's supposed to. Am I right, One Hopers? But in our heart of hearts, we're a bit, we like to be ideal about community, don't we? That idealism, but community is hard work and we get caught up in this quaint idea that a God community will be all nice, that we're just going to sit in a circle and sing Kumbaya and hold hands together and it'll all be lovely. You know, and I'll pray for you. Oh, thank you so much, you know, all that sort of, it's that idealism, you know. And then when it's not... That's when we struggle. That's when our idealism is, is attacked and we, we check out or we, we get angry or we attack or we, we get annoyed or we, we pull away or we whatever we do, whatever you do and whatever I do. We can get caught up in our dream of community and what it will be like, what it should be like, how far it should impinge on our wants and desires. You know, I'm, I'm happy to be part of community, but my ideal community won't expect too much of me, you know, and that soon turns into we it starts with a dream of what it should be like and how we think it should be and 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 that soon turns into what it must be like and it soon turns into the determiner of whether I will actually even be a part of it or not or maybe I'll selectively be a part of it Bonhoeffer in his book Life Together it's a little short book He says this about an idealistic view of community. He wrote this book about life together as a community. And he wrote this. I think I put it up there. Yes. Those who love their dream of a Christian community more than the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community, even though their personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest and sacrificial. That's how insidious idealism can be when you have this idealistic idea. Community is hard work, but it's also a huge blessing. Don't give up when it or people in it disappoint you because you're still called to community. Jesus' call doesn't change because some human has done the wrong thing. Remember that. So individualism, idealism. The last one I want to talk about is intimidation. How many of you were intimidated by that definition I put up there when I put one hope in there? Be honest. Yeah. Even I was when I put it up. I thought, should I do it or should I just write church or something? But we're afraid of it. We're afraid of community. Not just in church, but in general. We're afraid of it because it means we've got to be vulnerable. It means that myself is laid bare, isn't it, in community. That's what happens in community. We are at our best and also at our worst when we're in community, in the place of community. In a place where people we love, we're together with people we love and people we serve with. And that can be intimidating. So we shy away because we don't want to be laid bare. We don't want people to see that. Vulnerability. Community is and can be messy. And people are different, aren't they? Very much at times. And yet... We're called by Jesus, we're called by the word to surrender ourselves and surrender our individualism to it. This church is full of very different people. You know, some of us are great at other things, some of us have different opinions about things, but any community, people are different. We might all be different. We might do things differently. We might have different preferences. But what makes us a community, and this is really important, what makes us a community is not our differences, but it's what we have in common. It's Jesus Christ. Pey- Peyton and Francis shared today 
But we should all be able to stand up here and share exactly the same thing. That's what makes us community. Not our differences. Not that you're different than me or you're more intelligent than me and that ain't hard. Not that you're more gifted, you're better at something than I am. Not that you think um, more deeply than I do. Not our differences, but it's Jesus. It's salvation. It's our mission. It's our purpose. That's what makes us community. That's what makes us family. We're not just any old community as a faith community. We're not just a group. We may not share political preferences or ethnicity. We might not all be in the same tax bracket. We might not all have the same education level, etc. But the family of God, the community of God is a community because we have Jesus in common. We all needed him and we all need him still. Again, think of Romans recently. Think of Jesus' first community. How different were they? These 12 guys. You've got Matthew, a tax collector, works for the Romans. You've got the zealot who fights the Romans. Can you imagine dinner when they get together? How you going, traitor? About you, murderer? Can you? They were so different. There were so many different people in there. And yet what they had in common was that Jesus called them. What we have in common is that Jesus called us. Community can be hard work, but it's not complex when we see it like that. Tim Keller says, and Glenn, I had to get Keller in here for you. I knew you'd be here today. Tim Keller says that as humans we are geared for community. He uses the word geared. We need it. We need community. Think about when you hear a, when you hear a, a great song. What do you do when you hear a great song? Someone, anyone, you can... What, what do you, what, his fantastic song, what do you do? What did Francis do this morning? He shared it. And Tim Keller uses this example in that podcast. He talks about when you hear a great song, it only becomes greater when you share it with someone. Say, listen to this really cool song. Or have a look at this really great movie. We, um, we, had, we celebrated Scott's birthday. Scott's birthday was on Wednesday. So if you see him later, say happy birthday for Wednesday. We were sitting around having a coffee. And of course, as usual, the talk went to Netflix. No, not as usual, but the talk went to Netflix. And, of course, all of a sudden we start comparing these great movies we've seen. And you want to tell people about this great movie. Instagram exists because you want to tell people what you see and who you are. We're geared for community. We're not geared to be alone and to do all this sort of stuff alone. And he says, even our self-image is built via community. You can't get a picture. He says this, you can't get a picture of yourself or a sense of yourself outside community. You look for that echo in community. And it could be a community, a small community or a larger community. Arguably, the two most important practices of Jesus that we see in his life that he taught us were silence and solitude and community. They're the two things that Jesus practiced all the time. These are the best ways we have to hear, to grow and to heal Think again of the testimonies we heard this morning in our journey with Jesus. Alone with him in the quiet or in community. We need both. Community is one of the two ways we grow from the beginning. From salvation into being richer and more effective in our journey with Jesus. 
And you see that in Peter's letter in the second in Peter in Second Peter where he, he's talking to the church. And you, you, you might remember that scripture where he says, you know, grow in knowledge and self-control, etc., etc. Why? So you will become more effective in your knowledge of God. Community is the context that God gave us to become more effective, to grow, for our salvation to take birth and launch into the world and into the lives of others. And you might have seen it there again. Tim Keller says this about community towards the end. And this is a great quote, and I thought I'll get this one down. Jesus says, When you enter into a relationship with me, I will weave you into a human community, stronger and more beautiful than you can imagine. To be saved by Jesus means not just to have your individual sins forgiven. It means more. It means to be woven into a new and true community that God himself has created. That's what we are. That's what your church is wherever you go. It isn't just a bunch of humans that decided this is a good place to do church. Let's pick ourselves a pastor and get on with it. You're called to be part of a spiritual community that has that you're woven in by Christ himself into a community that has a purpose, that has a goal. And its first goal is just to reflect who God is to each other and into the world. Who is Jesus? And that's what we did this morning just with two testimonies. But we could have 50 testimonies reflect who Jesus is to each other. That's what happens when you become a follower of Christ. Salvation is personal, but it merges us with his body, the family of God, with Christ as our head. And that is way, way more important than an individual thing. You know, the greatest example of a relational, loving, serving, sacrificial community isn't one hope. greatest family is the trinity god the father the son and the holy spirit that's where we saw true community that's where we saw true service and true love and that's our greatest model and that sacrificial love that they shared and service was expanded to us and we are now part of that community we're now merged into that community one hope here this family is a part of that you're part of that if you're part of this church each time, we gather to, each time we gather together, we celebrate and remember what brought us together, who brought us together and why we're together, who holds us together and what holds us together, why we keep coming and what motivates us to serve together, who sends us out, who calls us out to serve. We remember together that the greatest act of service was when Jesus himself came so that we could be part of that community. He gave himself so that we could be part of the community. You know, and we're going to share Lord's Supper this morning. And um, that's the thing that families do, don't they? They eat together. They remember good stuff together. Have you ever sat around with your family and told stories of, hey, remember when? Anyone ever done that? Or is that just this corny thing that the Americans do on sitcoms? Of course you do. You remember, you know, you, you, you remember things and I'm sure we remember the bad, but we remember the good things. We remember, you know, and we're reminded again this morning and I'm going to say it again in our testimonies, remember what people shared with us and then we share with other people, remember that, that was great. As a family of God, we're called to remember what Jesus did. 
to celebrate together, to remember and believe that the blood of Jesus was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. Is there a greater message? Is there a greater thing to anchor a community and a family upon than the truth of that? Is there anything that could have more strength to draw us together than something like that? When we share the bread and the wine or the juice or when we share that together, they're not just words that, you know, remember and believe and they're not just, oh, we've got to get through this for another month. But we remember and believe something critical, something amazing. You know, and, and we heard it today and, and, you know, in your own life, you'd hear it again and again. Why is that important? Why did Jesus think, why did he sit down with the guys and say, guys, do this in remembrance of me? Because he knew, you know, the stories are great. Peyton's story is fantastic. Francis' story is fantastic. But I guarantee by Wednesday, there's a bunch of other stories bouncing around in your head and those stories become a distant memory, don't they? That's what happens in our life. Stuff happens. Things get in our way. And Jesus knew that. And that's why we're called back again as a family. Remember and believe what I did for the community, what I did for the family, what I did for you. That my blood was shed, my body was broken, so that you no longer have to live with the consequences of your sin. You no longer have to live with the eternal consequences of death, but you have life in me. Isn't that an amazing thing to remember? And by Wednesday, you'll forget this again. I guarantee that as well. So we'll do it again next month because that's what families do. Remember when? Remember that time? It's really important. And so as Jesus was with his disciples, he took the bread and he broke it. And I'm going to put the microphone down and yell. He broke it and gave thanks and he said, This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me, just like I said. I want you to remember that this is what... And then he took the cup and he poured the cup and he said, and this, guys, this was my blood shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. These two things, when you remember them, are going to remind you of the great privilege of life that you have. The great act of service that God gave to you. Do this in remembrance of me. If that's something that's true for you, if that's something that speaks to you, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, and if you need to be reminded like I do, if you know that you need to be woven into the family and that this is part of what makes you part of the family, then we invite you to celebrate with us this morning. Remember and believe together with us as a family that the blood of Jesus was shed, that the body of Christ was broken so that you no longer had to live in sin. That you could celebrate with Peyton's story, with Francis' story, with Joel's story, with Jordan's story, with anyone's story. God is good. Celebrate with us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we get to celebrate that you you called us to remember and believe that nothing, absolutely nothing can get in the way of what you did. Can change the fact that your body was broken, your blood was shed for me, for us. And we thank you and praise you for that. And Lord, as we remember this morning, would you cause our hearts, Holy Spirit, would you cause our hearts to resound with peace and a sense of joy in a salvation that that was achieved by you, Jesus, on the cross.
come on forward. We'll have a couple of stations. We'll have um, some people here and some people over there, two people over there. Starting from the back, come on forward, grab the elements, grab a piece of bread, uh, a piece of bread and, and um, a cup, pop back into your seats and then we'll celebrate it together. Um, so let's do that. Can I just get our leaders to come on forward and grab the elements and pop over there? And... Um,